for they had sworn with all their heart, and had sought him with their whole desire, and he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest. In 1997, I found myself surrounded. I was a teacher at a Whatcom County High School, and one day the principal urgently called me into the office, and he needed me to fill in for the shop teacher who was just driven to nervous breakdown by the roughest students in school. And I had to cover this class for an hour that felt like eternity. I was a first-year teacher, and this was not going to go good. I was surrounded, outflanked, outnumbered by students who just chewed up their teacher and spit them out, and they're looking at me like I'm a plate of turkey with marshmallowed yams on it. And they had welding gear. Okay. So the principal said, call me immediately if anything at all goes wrong. And I'm thinking, how about I call you if anything goes right? Because if something goes wrong, I'm not going to be able to call. Now, some of you, because this is a Whatcom County school, might have been in that shop class. So I'm just checking for welding gear right now. Okay, I think we're good. But the school bell was my way out of being surrounded, and I couldn't leave that classroom fast enough. Today, we're celebrating baptisms because they represent a way out of being surrounded, closed in, helpless. But more than just being saved from a terrible life, we're saved for a flourishing life with Christ and his kingdoms. Now, baptisms... They matter, and they are worth celebrating, no doubt. But anyone who's been baptized knows that that this immersion doesn't mean that your life is like automatically awesome and everything is easy and we're on some straight path to glory. It's not like that. Sometimes it feels like one step forward, two steps back. So life in general is hard, but the Christian life can be even harder because we have this high calling. And after the year 2020, you might be wondering if God is somehow careless or cruel or incapable. Sometimes it feels that way. Like, why doesn't he just take out his magic wand and he can make all of this go away? He can snap his finger and the the virus disappears. He whispers and all of the divisions just melt away. But if we're convinced that God isn't careless or cruel or incapable, where does that leave us? For the last six weeks in this sermon series, we've been looking at how we've been surrounded by tough circumstances that press in from all sides. And we're going to conclude the series by talking about how God uses that pressure to shape and form us as a people that he wants to use for his own purposes. To do that, we're going to follow the story of Israel through their wilderness, because in so many ways, their story is our story. 
The wilderness story kicks off with what I'm going to call a cross-shaped calling. So Israel's Exodus story, it was a baptism as they passed through the waters of the Red Sea, but they got immersed into the new life of freedom after being slaves. But Israel, we know they didn't just like hop on Air Egypt 787 with their nice little snack of like three little manna wafers in the little package, right? It wasn't like that at all. They first had to wander a desert. And God had big plans for that desert. Because he was going to form and shape his people. And God never wastes wilderness. After three months experiencing some really extreme hunger and thirst, Israel arrived at Mount Sinai. And at this mountain, God gave his people their calling. We're going to pick up the text in Exodus 19. It says this, starting in verse 4. God is telling his people this. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all of the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me, listen to it, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Did you catch it? This group of essentially homeless wanderers, God is calling to become a kingdom of priests. Former slaves are becoming royalty. But we need to see that this calling has a certain shape. So as a kingdom, Israel was to have this upward or this vertical relationship with God. They were going to receive his will and receive his rule. Then they were going to extend that rule and will outward horizontally to the rest of the people and the rest of the nations, the rest of the world. So it has this cross shape. It's an upward and an outward shape of their calling. It's a cross-shaped kingdom. God is calling them to receive his goodness and then extend that same goodness out to the rest of the world. But the cross-shaped calling isn't just to be a kingdom, but to be a kingdom of priests. Now, we're talking Old Testament priests, uh, Hebrew Old Testament priests, so I don't want you to think modern-day like clerics with the collar type thing, but we're talking Old Testament priests. But the priests also had this upward calling. They were to pray, they were to intercede, they were to worship and offer sacrifices. And then they were also to intercede and to mediate outward for the rest of the people. So the priests had a cross-shaped calling. There's one more important part of this cross-shaped calling, though. At Mount Sinai, God was showing Israel his tremendous, loyal love for his people. And can't you hear his affection and in, in what he gave them and his calling? He said, I carried you with wings of eagles. I brought you to myself. You're my, you're my treasured possession. God deeply desired them to receive his loyal 
love. And this love was to be more important than anything else in Israel. In fact, everything in Israel was to hang on the love of God. So when we put this picture together, we see the calling is cross-shaped. It's a dearly loved kingdom of priests who receive the rule of God and then they extend that out to the rest of the world, extending his goodness outward. So in the wilderness, Israel received the cross-shaped calling in Exodus 19, but immediately afterward, God solidified that calling by giving them cross-shaped commands, and we're going to check it out in Exodus chapter 20. And what we know is the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, it's, it's actually the summary of a whole law God gave his people. The law wasn't just a set of rules like, hey, you're supposed to be nice to each other. The purpose of the law itself was to shape the people. It was designed to mark them as unique to set them apart from all others for a unique purpose. So in Exodus 20, the first few of the Ten Commandments, it's it's on this upward or this vertical relationship with God. It's God saying, I need you to worship me exclusively, hold my name in honor. So the first of the Ten Commandments say, like, have no other gods before me and don't make carved images and don't bow down to idols and don't take the Lord's name in vain and... Keep the Lord's Sabbath holy. The last of the Ten Commandments, they show how people were to be outward in relationship to one another. So he's saying, like, honor your father and your mother, and don't murder, and don't commit adultery, and don't steal, and don't bear false witness, and don't covet your your neighbor's wife or donkey. Don't covet your neighbor's donkey, seriously. I'm looking at you guys, okay? No donkey coveting here. Don't do it. The law of Moses gave cross-shaped commands so the people knew what it meant to live out their cross-shaped calling. And we're familiar with the first 10 commandments, but there were 603 other commandments, and these are the ones that seem kind of strange to us, which is like, don't mix the types of cloths that you wear, and don't eat shellfish, and and don't mow your lawn on the Sabbath, right? Don't do that. In all, the purpose of the law was to shape them so Israel could live out their calling to receive God's love and ultimately extend that love outward to all of the rest of the world. So God gave his people a cross-shaped calling. He gave them cross-shaped commands. But God, being brilliant, then went on and he forms them into a cross-shaped camp. And, and I just recently learned this, and this blew me away. I want to thank my friend Josh Yates, who pointed this out to me. If you want, when you go home, take a look at Numbers chapter 2. It's in the Old Testament. And God is giving very specific instructions for how these 12 tribes of Israel are supposed to set up their camp in the wilderness. The most important part was that this dwelling place of God called the tabernacle was in the center of the camp, always in the middle of the people. It was like the heart of the camp. 
But then God said, okay, you 12 tribes, you got to be arranged around this center in a specific way. So some of these tribes are going to be facing west, and some tribes face south, and some tribes you're going to face east, and some tribes you're facing north. Here's a little picture about what this uh, probably looked like. It was a cross in the desert. In fact, even one of the tribes was much longer than the other was, and so it would have extended out further. This is incredible. It's a cross-shaped camp in the middle of a wilderness with God in the heart of the people. It's beautiful. And can it be that this picture is for us in our wilderness today? So in this camp, when God said go, they broke camp and went. When God said stop, they set up this cross-shaped camp again. For 40 years, he shaped and reshaped them into a cross. Hundreds or perhaps thousands of times. Set it up. Tear it down, do it again, do it again, and over and over. And, and the people must have thought it was crazy, but God was doing something. In that wilderness, because God never wastes a wilderness, he was shaping them. And they had no idea what this cross shape would eventually mean. And I wonder if, if we have any idea how God is shaping us right now. In our wilderness. But the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God, remember, it was in the crossroads of this, in the very center, in the, in the heart of this camp. It didn't take long for Israel, though, to want to go back to Egypt. In just a few weeks, they started grumbling. They started to romanticize the good old days back in Egypt. And they'd say things something like, sure, we were whipped or tortured, but don't you remember the meat that we ate? And oh, the Bible says they talked about the onions. Those Egyptian onions were so good. Like, that part cracks me up. Like, why are they thinking about the onions? I don't know. Maybe they're awesome onions. Maybe. Okay, I don't know. But they also had rebellion against Moses. They had forgotten that in Egypt they were surrounded by Pharaoh's army. They were encompassed in misery, like centuries of hopelessness wrapped around them and encircled them. Because of that rebellion and grumbling, there were only two men of the original generation that left Egypt who made it into the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. Just two out of hundreds of thousands. Just two. Now, moment of honesty, how many of you, having heard the story before, pictured Yourself as being Joshua or Caleb, like you would be the ones that kind of make it. Are there any? Dang, I'm an only one. <laughs> Shoot. And no, nobody else has ever like placed yourself in the hero story. Okay, you're better than the service last night because we had a bunch. The, the fact is none of us would have made it. None of us. Statistically, we are not the two out of 100,000. All of us 
would be grumbling and complaining and rebelling and croaking in the wilderness along with everybody else, and so would I. We would be grumbling for food on day three. But honestly, how many of us have found ourselves grumbling over the last eight months? It's tough. It's tough. This summer, Katie and I, we were going to hike a 70-mile section of the Pacific Crest Trail near Lake Tahoe. And we've been planning this hike for a year. So we're out there. It's in a place, first of all, this is a clue about what's about to happen. It's called the Desolation Wilderness. Kid you not. One night, we hung our food. You have to protect it from being stolen and eaten by bears. But we woke up in the morning, and our food, all of our food, had been stolen by people. Overnight, our situation took a terrible turn. All of our food was gone in the desolation wilderness. We had to hitch a ride out with this homeless lady and all of our stuff is in our car and we're trying to like cram ourselves in with our backpacks and our dog and and she drove us out and then I'm calling my mom, mom, can you come rescue us? And it was not a good situation, but... But it only took us a few hours without food to have this meltdown. And I was surprised how quickly Katie and I started yapping at each other. And we got into this conflict. We were hangry. And let's just say this was not our finest hour of marriage. And it was a long, tense hike out. But we can't blame Israel for the way they acted in the desert. We would do no better. I like 9, 9.30. You guys are honest. I love that. Good job, folks. Nice. And eventually, Israel did reach the promised land, and eventually a kingdom was set up. There was King Saul and King David and King Solomon and dozens of other kings ruled, but they all failed to one degree or another. Unfortunately, that kingdom in the promised land, they didn't live up to their calling to wholly love God and to extend that love out towards the rest of the world. There was a predictable descent into chaos and ruin. And again, we can't get all high and mighty and judge Israel because you and I are way more likely to be in the 99.9% of the people that failed than the 0.1% who were faithful. There were dozens of kings who ruled in Israel, but not one of them fully lived up to the cross-shaped calling. And ultimately, that kingdom was sent into Babylonian exile. My pastor friend, Ryan Irvin, says... God told them, go to your room. And that's kind of what happened there. But why did that kingdom fail? It's because a cross-shaped kingdom needs a truly cross-shaped king. And that's where Jesus comes in. After more than a thousand years of God's kingdom languishing, a baby is born in Bethlehem and he is called the King of the Jews. We're starting to celebrate that in Advent today. And he was to become the faithful cross-shaped king. 
When you look at the life of Jesus, you can clearly see that his whole priority was focused upward on loving God and outward on loving others. He healed, he set free, he delivered, he called disciples. Every action was motivated by love. Everything he did was in love for his father and receiving his father's love. Make no mistake, so Jesus isn't just the great teacher. He's not just a good role model for us. He came to be the king of his cross-shaped kingdom. So one day a ruler came up and asked Jesus what the greatest commandment of the law of Moses was. And pay attention to what he said. We're going to pick it up in Matthew 22. And he answered in this way. Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and prophets hang on these two commands. As the king, Jesus is establishing his cross-shaped rule. Love God, love others. And how important is it? He says that everything hangs on this love. So what's your life hanging on right now? Sometimes our whole lives hang on getting that promotion at work or your car just died so your life is hanging on getting your new car or maybe it's hanging on the Seahawks winning on Monday, I don't know. Or you're hanging on whether your marriage is gonna survive or your business is gonna make it or maybe your whole life is hanging on whether somebody you love is gonna escape that illness or addiction. But Jesus said that our whole lives are to hang on these cross-shaped commands. Love God, love others. And Jesus wasn't just spouting words. That's how he lived, hanging on the intersection of loving God and loving people. And that's how he died. At his crucifixion, Jesus didn't just hang on a wooden cross. He was hanging on loving God and loving others. This was the cross-shaped death of the cross-shaped king. So let's circle back now to the desert and the wilderness. And we have to ask, what is God doing in our wilderness today? He's forming a cross-shaped He's forming cross-shaped Christians. So I acknowledge that Christians have done plenty to spoil the name of Christian, myself included. But we're not talking about world-shaped Christians or liberal-shaped Christians or conservative-shaped Christians. We're talking about cross-shaped Christians. There's long parts of my story where I felt like I was wandering a desert even as a Christian, like I'd be attending church regularly, but just going through the motions. And I was even in Bible studies and small groups, but I wasn't wholly loving God and wholly loving others. My life couldn't be described as flourishing. I was wandering a desert. 
But during that time of wandering, God was doing something in my life. He was forming me into a cross-shaped Christian. God never wastes the wilderness. God never wastes the wilderness. He uses the wilderness to shape you. George MacDonald was the mentor of C.S. Lewis, and he said this, We don't need to have the answer to our prayers if we have God. You need to hear this again. We don't need to have the answer to our prayers if we have God. And he went on to develop that. He said, our greatest need is not a job or health or food or water or shelter. He calls those only our lesser needs. But our greatest need is God himself. So if you can ever find the courage, I want you to learn about what happened to 500,000 Romanian orphans under communist tyranny in the 20th century. They were given all of their lesser needs, so they had food and water and shelter, but they were wholly neglected of any kind of love or affection or meaningful social connection. And humans can't flourish when only our lesser needs are met. So I don't want to simplify the complex issues of unanswered prayer, but sometimes God doesn't answer your prayer for your lesser needs because he needs you, he wants you, he longs for you to find himself as your greatest need. In the wilderness, all of our lesser needs, they all point us to God, our greatest need. Why? Because as we receive God's love, we're filled even if our stomachs are empty. As we receive God's love, we are rich even if our paychecks are small. As we receive God's love, we have peace, even when we're surrounded by chaos. So it might just be that God isn't answering your prayer for your lesser needs because right now he wants you to truly find him as your greatest need. In our New Testament context, it's clear that what Jesus was doing was forming and shaping cross-shaped Christians. In Matthew 16, he told his disciples this, and I believe he's telling us in this room and online, if you're in your home, he's telling you this. Jesus says this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains all of the world but loses and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus is describing the horrible consequences of having all of your lesser needs met but losing your greatest need of God himself. Because 
Without God, we're empty even when our stomachs are full. Without God, we're poor even if our paychecks are huge. Without God, we have chaos even if we surround ourselves with comfort. And could it be that God isn't just forming a cross-shaped Christian, that he's not just working on an individual level right now, but worldwide? Is he shaping a whole community through a wilderness experience to form a whole kingdom that fully loves God and loves others? And that brings us to our last stopping point on this journey, and it's the cross-shaped community. Now, we're not literally traveling a a wilderness and actually camping in a desert. So thank you, Lord. When I'm camping, I want to be with my wife and my dog. I don't want to be with 100,000 of my distant relatives. No offense to distant relatives. Love you guys. But we are surrounded by harsh conditions. And God will not waste this wilderness. He's forming a cross-shaped people, a whole community who upward loves God and outward loves others. God is calling us to be a kingdom that brings flourishing outward to the whole rest of the world. And that kingdom is ruled by Jesus, the cross-shaped king. Friends, We are the body of Christ, the King. Together, he's calling us to be a cross-shaped community. Everything in our lives ought to hang on the love of God. So I'd like everybody to stand right now, if you could, even if you're at home. Just stand with me for a moment. Would you extend your arms out in the shape of a cross, just like this? Don't try not to bonk your neighbor in the nose. This is who God designed us to be in our very body. He made us to be a cross-shaped people. Take a look at this thing on the screen again. Remember, this was the camp in the wilderness. And at the heart of that camp dwelled God. And guess what? If Jesus is in you, Paul says that he dwells in your heart. So you are a cross-shaped people with God dwelling in your heart. Just like that cross-shaped camp with God dwelling in the heart. This is who we are. This is who he made us to be. Look around. We're a cross-shaped kingdom. I'd like to keep you here for a couple hours, but I'll have you sit down. (laughs) It looks awesome from up here. (laughs) A few decades after Jesus was crucified and then resurrected and then ascended to heaven, the apostle Peter wrote a letter, and he calls us royal priests which is a direct reference to Israel's cross-shaped calling to be a kingdom of priests back in Exodus. And then Peter gives us instructions to form us into a cross-shaped community. 
It says this in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Peter says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, panic and go buy as much toilet paper as you can at cost. Oh, wait, no, wait, it doesn't say that. Hold on. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's another desert reference Peter is making. Without grumbling. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ and as priests to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter's describing a cross-shaped calling to glorify God and to love others. Even when the end of all things is at hand, what are we supposed to do? Not fight one another, not argue, not try to scare people into submission to God. He says, love people, show hospitality, give God glory. And I'm not saying that we're at the end, like the end might be 10,000 years away. But even if we were at the end, our cross-shaped calling doesn't change. The cross-shaped commands don't change. Peter's saying, love one another. Love God. Show hospitality. Eat snacks together. Glorify him. I like that plan. That's a good plan. Even at the end of all things. This forms a cross-shaped community. This is a cross-shaped kingdom of priests ruled by the cross-shaped king. Even in the face of every stinking thing 2020 has thrown at us, nothing changes our calling to be a kingdom who loves God with everything we have and loves others the way he loves us. We're going to conclude. And friends, there's going to come a time where I believe God's going to unveil what he's been doing all along. I think we're going to be blown away when we see how God is not wasting this wilderness. And there's plenty that we don't and we can't understand today, but there's, there's a lot that we can know, and this is what we can know for sure. We have a cross-shaped calling to be a kingdom of priests. We have cross-shaped commands to wholly love God and love others. We have a cross-shaped king who at this moment is ruling and reigning. We know that God wants to form you as a cross-shaped Christian. And we know that God is forming all of us as a cross-shaped community. To close, I'd like you to listen to this blessing that's going to be sung for you. I want you to receive this as if it is coming from the very mouth of God directly to you. Because I believe this is what God would say to you in blessing. Take a look at this.
keep you, make his face shine upon and be gracious to you. Lord, turn his face toward you and give you peace. Lord, bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord, turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.
Would you stand with me for a closing prayer? And I'm going to ask if you want to be cross-shaped, would you just extend your, your arms out? Father, I thank you for each person here. Lord, you know that there is a desire that we would love you with all of our hearts and a desire to love others the way you love us. I'm asking by your Holy Spirit, would you empower us to do that? This week, I'm asking that you give us an ability to love and to look like Jesus, our cross-shaped king, in a way that we haven't had before. Lord, I thank you that you are not wasting this wilderness, but you are shaping a people. I also thank you for your great love for us that sits in the heart of who we are, that lives in the very heart of who we are, your loyal love for us. Would it overflow? Bless you and thank you, Lord Jesus. And everybody said together, Amen. Well, I want to just remind you that we're starting our Advent devotion today, so you can pick it up in the commons on the way out, or you can also download it at ctk.church advent. And if you want prayer for anything, just go to prayer.ctk.church, and we'd love to have our team of people pray for you. Lord bless you. Have a good week.